Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the ninth episode of URT Number, the Amazing Race 32 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who GM says has nice, skinny, fragile ankles, Logan Saunders. <laughs> good afternoon. And the lady who has trouble being a good role model for her daughters as she keeps them in a hole in the garden, Michelle Pistanovan. <laughs> Why did that even come out of the episode? How? Because Hung and Chi's entire storyline bookending this episode was they want to be good role models for the daughters. I just oh, okay. I was inspired by them wanting to be good role models for the daughters by pointing out that you're not. Right. So how have your weeks been? We done anything, Michelle? Apart from, I think we've got to speak quite quietly because Michelle was out last night. Well, no, everyone was at my place, so I didn't. It's not as ah. I got in. Yes, no, my kitchen is an absolute mess right now, and I can't do anything because I'm podcasting. <laughs> oh god! And you know full well that if I hear you messing with any sort of cutlery, I will mention it. It's all right. I've moved rooms. <laughs> Have you done anything this week, Logan? Well, I hadn't seen my girlfriend for about 10 months, and she just got in two days ago. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so Logan is in a different house than normal for the next two weeks. Yeah, but the Wi-Fi here is freaking good, though. <laughs> and I must say, I think this week is probably like Christmas for Logan, because I think you might have a lot of material for your Funniest Complaints vlogs. Oh my god. I, I just, I, I, I've been teaching a lot. That, like Actually, yesterday was the most I taught, because all... 24 of my students showed up on time, which normally would be terrible with because Jan just came here and I'd feel bad about having to teach for 12 hours straight, but she was catching up on jet lag. So it was actually quite ideal that way to be able to just let her, let her sleep the whole day while I, while I was teaching. <laughs> but yeah, it was tough to peel away from. It might be the most negative reaction I've ever seen to an Amazing Race episode. Unless there was social media that existed when Jonathan shoved Victoria. That's probably the only time that there would have been a more of a negative reaction. I want to preface this entire episode by saying, stop taking it out on the races. We've said this all season, basically. You cannot begrudge the Alliance for being an Alliance, because it's got them this far. Mm. Who you should have ire towards is production. Because as we will get into in this episode, production could have stopped the ending happening did not stop that ending happening. So it entirely falls to them that this season has been boring as all shit. And yeah, I mean, it, the strategy worked for the three teams from day one. They played within the confines. Like, it's funny, there's so many people who say they cheated, they cheated, they cheated. None of those three teams have broken any rules. No rules mm. have been infringed upon. It's just production just... As we'll get to with the Manila episode... Oh my god, production made so... I'm, I'm, I was all excited to show Gian this episode, and then all I did was just show her a couple of random clips, because I'm thinking, hmm, this isn't very exciting to watch. <laughs> hmm. I mean, Amazing Race has been going this way for a little while with production taking their foot off the gas, but this episode is, as I said to Logan before we started recording, probably the most boring episode we have covered since the France leg of 28 the one with the hang gliding where nobody could overtake each other. Which would be tough. I mean, it's tough because I know Manila's a lot better than all of the other international destinations we've covered the past several years. 
other than say maybe when they went to Cologne in the first season of Amazing Race Canada, but <laughs> but uh, but like the pit start, I'm thinking, oh, that's where me and Jan toured around there on my like second to last day that I was in Manila earlier this year, and then when they were feeding the Calesas, I was thinking, oh, those are the horses we rode around that same area where the pit start and pit stop was <laughs> and then there was another area that they were in and I'm, and I'm thinking where's this Bonondo area and then it's just outside of the area where we were and I'm thinking Manila is a freaking massive city and they stuck to like the same three blocks and then the the shopping mall of Asia task where they were running in high heels I'm thinking that's just along the boardwalk that can't be much further away from the intramuros area and sure enough I'm thinking that's the furthest they traveled the whole episode, and it wasn't that far. <laughs> I'm thinking this had to be a really, really short leg because me and Gian covered more distance than the racers did, and we were out that day for about six to eight hours, and they find out, sure enough, yeah, this whole leg probably was done within about four, maybe five hours if you're Gary and D'Angelo. And most of that time was spent at the trial and error task, which probably took up about three of those hours. <laughs> I will get into that, but I do have the exact times for all this leg. One thing I do want to say before we start proper as well is that we are recording this on Saturday. Yesterday was our seventh anniversary. So yay, podcast. Go us. <laughs> and inspired by recent events, I've got everyone a gift bag to celebrate, uh, containing a hundred Zimbabwean dollar Amex gift card. An RTV Warriors by the Grace of God face mask, a Dunkin' Donuts commuter thermos, my favourite granola bar, and a copy of the best book ever, The Study Bible. Just don't expect a bonus. What? This is almost something like Angela from The Office would pack. It came out this week that Julie Chen got everyone rap gifts from um, Big Brother All Stars, which was basically just that. <laughs> was that as a joke? No, she was being deadly serious. She got them the Bible? She got them the Bible, Reality Blurred covered it a couple of days ago. <laughs> and, a granola, and her favourite granola bar? Her favourite granola bar made in Southern California. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Was it the one that Janet left at the bottom of the Jabiru tribe in Survivor Amazon? I don't know, but it just made me laugh so hard. But yeah, we celebrated our seventh anniversary yesterday. Absolutely nothing's going to change next year apart from, you know, certain shows. So previously... Five teams raced to see him reach Cambodia. At the detail, Gary and D'Angelo and Riley and Madison fought for first, and Gary and D'Angelo saved their own skin by U-turning Aparna and Ishwar. Riley and Madison blocked the U-turn to save their alliance mates, condemning Aparna and Ishwar. However, they could also put the roadblock where D'Angelo struggled, leading to a showdown as a slide puzzle. Riley and Madison won another leg, while it was Aparna and Ishwar who went home. And Riley and Madison leave at 2pm, James and Will at 2.52, Hung and Chi at 3.38, and Gary and D'Angelo at 3.55. But first, we have to get to Riley and Madison taking up all of the time that could have been spent on an intro with a sponsored spot about the prize that they won last week. Their bed will fit right in in Bergen, which is something I've heard. It's a trip they probably won't be able to take for another year. Yeah, I wonder what, what happens with the Travelocity prizes and stuff um, with this, because we, we know full well that they don't get the prizes till the season's aired. I know something about this, because actually the teams from Season 31 who won their prizes... Uh, I've heard it from the contestants themselves from 31 at a certain event that they were had to beg Travelocity to extend the deadline on when they had to take their trips because teams from 31 still haven't even used up their, the trips from that season. I'm not surprised. So that's a year and a half, you know, or I guess probably less than a year after they would have received those prizes when 31 aired. That's when 
all international travel was grounded. So let's say that they waited a year to take their trip. They couldn't exactly wait a year uh, from 31 because that would have taken them into July. So if they didn't, hadn't taken their trip within seven or eight months, they would have been in the position to beg Travelocity to extend the deadline. Did they do it? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Because, yeah, that's, that came from uh, Corey. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So teams have to now fly to Manila, the capital of the Philippines, also known as the texting capital of the world. And we have it from our Manila correspondent that that's actually quite true for once. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> However, what I will throw a little bit of shade on is the fact that Phil says it is now known as the texting capital of the world, and as far as I can check from Google, it was known until the early 2000s as the texting capital of the world. I like this fact-checking. It's not been assessed since 2005. Something that doesn't need to be assessed since since 2005 is it being the worst traffic in the world. I can vouch for that. (laughs) Which actually has an amazing race connection, because... The very final day that I was in Manila this year, uh, me and Jan met up with uh, Ro Wilson from Amazing Race Asia 2. And we were, we were, me and Jan were discussing, oh, when should I head to the airport to catch my flight? And I think we were trying to figure out, should it be three hours before or four hours ahead of time? Mind you, the airport is, I think, about 10 kilometers from where we were. <laughs> Like a really short distance. And we meet up with Revilson, and depending on which tar- terminal I was flying out of, that's what determined when I had to leave. And sure enough, yeah, we had to leave, I think, almost five hours before before my flight departed to head to the airport. <laughs> I mean, as you well know, I do like to get to an airport early and anywhere early. I hate, hate being late. So I would have been yeah. leaving at least three hours before around, just anywhere I was. Or may have maybe even been checking four or five hours. I know we like left ridiculously early and sure enough, Manila traffic can be that bad where it does take four hours to go 10 kilometers. <laughs> so they have to take a marked jeepney to find Phil at Lapu Lapu Circle. And I have a huge problem with them telling them that Phil is going to be there. It just spoils all of the excitement for the twist. They knew something was coming as a result of knowing Phil was going to be there because as Riley and Madison say in the uh, in the cab on the way to see him reach airport, we know something's going to go down because Phil's going to be there. They could have mm. absolutely sprung it on them, and it's the one benefit I will say for the U-turn Tribal Council last season is the fact they didn't let them know Phil was going to be there. They just got surprised with Phil being there. Or the partner swap in 30 where Phil has his homeless mustache. Uh, emerging to say they're going to partner swap in Zimbabwe. <laughs> yeah, there's there's absolutely no point to them telling them that Phil's going to be there beforehand. Yeah, imagine the shock though if they didn't tell them and then they just show up to to Rizzle Park and sure enough, oh, there's Phil Kogan standing there, and then they're just stunned and then they're scrambling. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? Instead, they're giving, especially when they're trying to discourage this endgame alliance. If you give an alliance ahead of time to plan around a potential twist, that's never a good idea. Exactly. They were probably under the same assumption that we were, that it was going to be a must-felt U-turn, which then meant that they would have all got together and gone, we're U-turning Gary and D'Angelo, aren't we? Yes, of course we are. And then it would have been a question of, who do you think Gary and D'Angelo are going to U-turn? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So hipster doofuses, Riley and Madison say that they're peaking, and they say that it's a strange clue, something's coming... And as I said, why did they spoil Phil's appearance? Um, I like that James knew the 
Filipino greeting. How many did he learn? <laughs> he learned seven or eight, I think, but they did say they love the Philippines, so I have an assumption that they've probably been there before. Yeah, especially when I think when they got their clue, I heard Salamat Po. I'm thinking, yep, they've been there before. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. I haven't asked James, but I have a feeling that they've probably been to the Philippines together before. And how how does Hung, having a friend who's half Filipino, help her? I've got a friend who's full Filipino, and I don't think that would help me. We will get to that in a minute. You mean Carl? <laughs> So James and Will do say they love the Philippines. To make the final three would be a dream come true. They want Gary and D'Angelo to have a big fallout as they love their alliance, but want to focus on themselves this leg, because that's going to end well. Hung and Chi would have a huge sense of satisfaction to reach the final leg. They want to be role models for their daughters, and as Michelle said, Hung's best friend is half Filipino. Spiritual advantage? Yeah, exactly. They have spiritual advantage on their side. Or a spiritual half advantage? Imagine if she was if the if the friend was half Filipino, half Spanish. Would that cancel each other out? <laughs> and Gary and D'Angelo say they don't want participation trophies because they're winners. And D'Angelo says no one will be helping anyone else this leg because it's every man for himself. About that. And and, and hung. It's it's seven dudes and hung. <laughs> Isn't that one of the movies in your collection? It's something very similar. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Or, or as they say in the Philippines, to his Mario Sep. And James says hopefully there'll be a dance challenge or something Gary and D'Angelo can't do. Now, I know I've mentioned that editors have been a little bit sleeping on the job this season, but they gave out Hunger and Cheese middle names in this episode. Really? Yes. And it was incredibly unsubtle because at the airport, they zoom in yeah. fully on Hunger and Cheese check-in screen. They are going via Hong Kong at 7.15pm, taking at 4.47pm, and I am assuming that they landed on the Cathay Pacific flight at 9.35am the next day. But yeah, they did show Hung and Chi's entire check-in screen, including their middle names, which is a little bit sinister for me. And their social security number, and their... (laughs) I did pause it on that to check that they didn't have passport numbers on there or anything, because that is genuinely very, very loose if they had passport numbers on there. They didn't, I don't think. (laughs) But it did really help me pinpoint what flights they were on. (laughs) Turns out they're actually in Witness Relocation Program. (laughs) Those aren't their real names. I was actually fully prepared to to send Hunger Message just going, you do realise your passport number's out there on the internet now, right? So Phil greets them at Lappy Lappy Circle and announces that for the first time ever, they're having only active written foes this leg, and he advises them to think very carefully about helping another team. (sighs) We have to rehash the argument from last week. It's not the first time they've ever done an all-active written foe leg. It's the third time in five seasons. What's funny is that they had the chance to talk about something that is happening for the first time, which is having the pit start and the pit stop in the same location. I don't know why Phil would just say that instead instead of lying. <laughs> yeah, it is downright lying. It's not forgetfulness this time. It's downright lying because there is not a chance in hell that they actually don't know that this was uh, the third time they've done all active written infos. And the fact that over the past week we've had incessant press releases going, for the first time ever, they're doing an all active written info leg. And it's like... No, they're not. Well, they are, but it's not the first time ever. 
It's the first time they're promoting it as such, but you can't do that. <laughs> That's not how that works. <laughs> I actually had to fact check one of the journalists who posted this without actually doing any research for themselves. It's okay. It's okay. It's just so <laughs> utterly frustrating, the production in this season. <laughs> I know. It's like they don't care at all. <laughs> it's the laziest editing, editing I think I've seen for the American version. Like, there's there's bad seasons, but they still put in a decent effort to try and edit a season that goes badly. Here, it's like they could have edited the season so much better, and they're just making mistakes left and right. They've had two years. They've had two years to sculpt a good story out of this. What have they been doing? It's even worse when you consider that it is by far the longest runtime they've had to actually be able to edit it, and they have done nothing with it. As I said to Michelle earlier this week, it's becoming increasingly obvious that 29 was a blip and that they are just really phoning it in every season now. And they edited out one key dynamic that would have explained D'Angelo's frustration, which is that Gary and D'Angelo and Riley and Madison had a secret day one alliance just for just a, like a final two alliance that never made it to air, which I think would have been a lot better to show since Riley and Madison had been leading the charge against Gary and D'Angelo. So I think it would have been a much better story if Gary and D'Angelo get betrayed by their absolute closest friends in the entire cast. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up already, because that is the one major thing that people have been bringing up to go, they're sanitizing Riley and Madison's edit, that means they win. And I just don't think they do. I have a theory on what the the final order is going to be. There is a hint for who I think is going to get second to potentially win. But there is a lot of content for one team that is kind of winner's edit style content. There is a little bit for who I think is going to come in second. And then there is this one thing for Riley and Madison. I don't think Riley and Madison win. I think Riley and Madison are going to have a massive downfall and probably place in third. Yeah. You know what? They haven't had as big an edit as the other two. No, they they were completely invisible for the first four legs. Mm. Despite the fact that they were already in this Mine 5 alliance, they were completely invisible edit-wise, until they actually won a leg in France. But I just feel like they've been portrayed to be really smug. And I know this kind of goes against everything I was ranting about at the start of the episode, but it's absolutely fine to talk about these people in the context of the show and go, Riley and Madison are coming across a little bit smug, or I don't like what James and Will do. But people have been crossing the line with all their criticism. And I know it's an absolute field day for Logan doing his funniest complaints, but people have been crossing the line into abusing these people directly. Hung didn't go on social media for two days after the leg aired because she knew about the backlash. That is not acceptable that people have to take that into consideration. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But they knew what they signed up for. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to bring it back to myself as I always do, but... After I was on the chase, we were told a heavy suggestion of stay off social media for about a week because people can get a little bit incensed. People are crazy on social media, but people need to realise that they are talking about actual real human beings. Yeah, just every... I'm surprised the Amazing Race official social media account even bothers to post right now because... All those posts are scheduled. I guess so, yeah. But it was funny, like the one instant... Like somebody pointed on Instagram, they usually get like 200 comments at the most per week for their biggest social media post and then the one this week had i think 1200 comments <laughs> almost right away yeah it was about 1200 by the time that i sent it to you with the caption well there's your funniest complaints for next week 
Yeah, I guess I got to go down that Instagram avenue for once. I guess I need to get a shout out. Yeah. I mean, there were so many posts about alliances cheating this crap. I don't know whether you – I know you're on the in the um, Amazing Race fans group as, as RTV Warriors, but I got a bit of backlash from – because I put – I. I put all those posts together in one post and I just wrote something like alliances, um, cheating, blah, 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 and people did not like me writing blah, blah, blah because they didn't like that. I thought it was all a bit annoying that they just kept going on and on about it and I had PMs, why are you saying blah, blah, blah? I've said it before and I will say it again, Amazing Race fans are fucking crazy. They are. <laughs> Especially the subreddit. The Amazing Race subreddit is an absolute cesspit at times. And I know they won't like me saying that. I will get a lot of hate for saying that. But it is an absolute cesspit. I don't go on there. It's one of the worst moderated subreddits I've ever seen. And I can say that because I have had run-ins with those moderators before. They are yeah. not very good at their jobs. It's so bad over there. But it is utterly unacceptable to criticise the racers personally, to do what Big Brother fans do every year, and contact their businesses, try and get them fired, start petitions going, they cheated, they need to give all the money to Gary and D'Angelo. That sort of bullshit does not fly. I think D'Angelo really needs the money. Um, did anyone sign the petition? Like, how, does any, Are there any signatures on it? It was two people um, when Logan sent me it. Let me have a look. Oh, we had, is this the first petition since the potato spitting of 26? As far as I'm aware, yes. The petition is television viewers and consumers boycott The Amazing Race and their sponsors. I'll quote this exactly because there is a typo and it's brilliant. The Amazing Race, comma, season 22, has been an example of a group of bullies ganging up on weaker teams. Likes of races have essentially been six people versus two people. Boycott The Amazing Race and their sponsors until they address this inequity. Oh my god. Six versus two. Not even five. Currently the target is a hundred people. Three people have signed that petition. Oh. Michael, you and I have to sign that petition. No, don't. It's annoying. Michelle, it's getting cancelled anyway, it's fine. Ha ha ha. So yeah, Phil greets them at Lappy Lapper Circle and tells them of the stupid gimmick for this penultimate leg. However, I happen to know from looking at the live sightings, thanks to Reality Fan Forum, Phil didn't turn up until at least half eleven in the morning. It was somewhere between about half eleven and twelve that Phil actually talked to the teams and then started this leg. I wonder what happened. Well, assuming they landed when I think they did, they landed about 9.35. But if you knew you were going to be meeting up with Phil and everyone was going to be equalised, I would have just sauntered around that airport. I would have been looking for souvenirs straight away and been like, yeah, it don't matter. Yeah, we're not in any rush. <laughs> we can take our time on this one. Especially, do you think D'Angelo of all people would want to take his time and go sightseeing? <laughs> well, this is what I mean. D'Angelo had the perfect opportunity to go sightseeing. He just didn't take it. He could have rode the Calaisas around the Intramuros area. He could have, you know, done some sightseeing within the shopping mall of Asia and then eventually make his way to Rizzle Park. I mean, he could have done that. And actually, me and Gian went inside the... The muse, the, the big building that's behind Phil at the pit start. Me and Jan went inside that building for several hours uh, uh, that day. They could have absolutely screwed over production, and production could have done absolutely nothing about it. It would have been brilliant. I'm surprised D'Angelo didn't think about that. So the first clue is in the Mark Jeepneys on the outside of the park. 
you actually note if you want to ride a jeepney, do not ride a jeepney in Manila. Try a different city first. Because <laughs> you're just standing still the whole time. Well, because well, that too, but it can be quite dangerous. <laughs> it's a lot safer to do it somewhere else. Mm. I mean, how many different types of um, different names for transportation have we had this season? We've, I think, we've had more than normal. You know, unusual names that they have no idea. They they look around and they don't even know what sort of transport they're looking for. They see hear jeepney and they're like, what? What, 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 what? Does it have a horse? Is it little? Is it person on a bike? We didn't really have any until uh, till they hit Asia, I don't think. Really? It didn't have anything. Oh no, that. there's the German cars. Yeah, there was Trabants, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah they did. Like so, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah, so it was a Trabant, and then it was the autos in India, and then we had Tuk Tuk's last week, and now Jeepneys. So four. So my favourite thing of this entire leg, which is, let's be honest, a low bar, is that they slow-mo Phil shooting the starter's pistol, but leave him squatting. And we get a lovely close-up of Phil squatting in a park in Manila. And they get a riddle to work out who has their next clue. It's all very unsubtly pointing to Logan's favourite NPC in Amazing Race history, the Michael Jackson traffic cop. Yeah, I didn't expect him to return seven seasons later. (laughs) He was actually in a press image as well. Phil had a press image taken with him. They must have just liked him so much in 25 when they briefly went by him. I think he should have his own like single, like like the Gangnam Style guy or something, and he could do (laughs) the moves in time with a song. So the thing is, if this was if this took place in the UK, he one hundred percent would have a novelty Christmas single that was competing for the chart next yeah. week. <laughs> See, the thing is, you can't really do that in Manila because half the population of Manila does karaoke, and half of the people there would have their own single. <laughs> Jan's laughing in the background. <laughs> no word of a lie. The past two years, Christmas number ones in the UK have been the same YouTuber doing terrible sausage roll theme parodies of famous songs for charity. I'm, well, if the UK is really desperate to get better content for like Christmas karaoke songs, all they have to do is just ship out, a, you know, maybe a couple, you know, just a couple dozen people from Manila trying to make it big. And, you know, I'm sure they'll find great success because it's, it's really competitive in Manila. Yeah, let's get Grandpa Ramiro Michael Jackson traffic cop to overtake Sausage Roll Guy. So in 2018, it was a parody of We Built This City called We Built This City on Sausage Rolls, and then last year was I Love Sausage Rolls, as opposed to I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> He's like William Hung. <laughs> so the March Epney knows where to go, they just have to hold their hand out and hope that the Michael Jackson traffic cop spots them, and teams must now be driven to the Mall of Asia, where they will find their next clue. Hung and Chi and James and Will's drivers both miss the clue, and here is a little bit of Hung and Chi winner's edit coming out, because there is quite a contrast between the way we're shown Hung and Chi dealing with the issue and James and Will dealing with it. Because Hung is very nice, very polite to the driver, just asking him nicely to turn around, and James and Will scream their heads off. Turn around, turn around, turn around. And it's really interesting that we get that direct contrast, because my suspicion is that Hung and Chi win and James and Will come second. And if that is true, then this is a massive sign of it. Mm. Having said that, I don't think it was the best production idea to have the clue be in the middle of a very busy intersection in Manila. 
I was kind of surprised they did that. Especially, like, when they reach out to try and grab the clue. What if they just really want that clue so they just grab Michael Jackson traffic cop by the by his collar and just drag him in the, uh, behind the jeepney for, you know, two blocks through Manila? They had to be perfectly timed to get the clue off him, because otherwise they could have caused an accident. What's funny was making people ride in the Mark Jeepneys when most people just ride grabs instead around Manila. <laughs> but Grab hasn't paid them. It looked like the the traffic was moving fairly slowly through the... Uh, it just didn't look fast, the intersection. It looked like quite slow. They definitely slowed down for it because it was a busy intersection, but I just don't think it was necessarily the best idea safety-wise to do it there. Mm. Especially as... Essentially, this task was just decided by whether he could be arse walking over to the jeepney, whether he was feeling nice or not. It could depend on, like, luck of the draw with his positioning, I would assume. So teams must now run a lap of the mall in high heels to get their next clue. Apparently, this is an annual thing in Manila. Jan did not know that people run annually in high heels along the boardwalk. That's something new we learned today. And Riley says he doesn't want to trip as he has nice, skinny, fragile ankles... And Will, when he gets there, owns a six-inch pair of heels. So these are like kitten heels to him. These are like training heels. And once teams complete their lap, they have to now take a taxi to the Arch of Goodwill at Binondo, the oldest Chinatown in the world. Is that true? I was going to say Logan Saunders, is that true? <laughs> I, I mean, I would assume the oldest Chinatown in the world would have to be somewhere in China. Where would a Chinatown start? There has to be the first Chinatown. But I don't think a Chinatown would start in China because all of China is Chinatown. <laughs> I'm working on the assumption they mean outside of China. However, for once in Amazing Grace history, this fact is true. <laughs> because as soon as Phil said that, I did pause and Google it because I don't trust them as far as I can throw them with this sort of a fact. But as far as I can see, this is actually true. It is if not the first city to have a uh, Chinatown, it's definitely in the first, like, three or four. Because there has been a Chinatown in Manila since, like, the 1500s. Makes sense, geographically speaking, too. It's a, I, mean, I mean, the northern part of the Luzon Island is really close to a lot of major Chinese cities. Based on the assumption that all they do is look at Wikipedia for their various locations, this is on Wikipedia, and it does appear to be at least... At least sourced for once, which is more than I can normally ask for with Amazing Race. And one thing I did notice that doesn't seem to have been addressed in the entire episode is the fact that Chi has a bandage on his calf. It was very visible at least twice during this leg. I noticed something else. Has Hung been wearing knee pads the entire time? Or something on her knees? She definitely had them in Cambodia. What's going on there? I don't think she had it before um, before Cambodia, at least not visibly. Okay. But having said that, I think she was wearing trousers for the rest of the uh, the season. Trousers or leggings. Okay. So it may just be because she was wearing shorts. Mm. So teams have to now head on foot to the central post office where they'll find the next clue. Hung and Cheese driver takes them to the wrong arch. And Hung gets our banner this week by doing a Velociraptor impression to describe the lion statue to a policeman. <laughs> to multiple people, too. <laughs> it did very much make me laugh when I had at least two or three opportunities to get hung doing a Velociraptor impression, because that was like no lion I have ever seen. 
you should have included all all of our shots of trying to pretend to be a lion. I don't understand because it was just so bizarre. Be funny though if she went up to locals doing that and she's like, "Have you seen this around here?" And then just act the way she did. And they're like, "No, there's no dinosaur statues around here. I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> And at the post office, teams have to prepare feed for the horses on a calesa, searching the grounds for the ingredients and mixing them together to get their next clue. And James's reaction is, root info, holy crap, more? To which I have a note saying, yes, James, that's how this thinly veiled gimmick works. I have ridden a calesa around that area of town. In fact, I probably, Jan and I probably rode one of the very ones that they showed feeding. Hmm. And Gary and D'Angelo walk past one of their vendors in the park, and it sounds like they get told what ingredients they're looking for, so it's actually not as difficult as it could be. And once teams have fed their horse, they have to travel on foot to Mayhem Garden, where they'll find the next clue, and it's James and Will leaving in first, Riley Madison in second, Gary and D'Angelo in third, and Hunger Jeep fourth. I think from this point they said there wasn't even a jeepney, right? No, the only the only jeepney was up to the mall. And then it's on foot to uh, to the central post office and then to Mayhan Garden and then back to the pit stop. Yeah, they just took a jeepney, you mean just the jeepney to the Chinatown. Then for, I think from Chinatown onwards, they never took... No, it's a taxi. Oh, actual taxi. Or pardon me, the taxi. Sorry. No, no, form of tr- no form of... No vehicles as soon as I hit Chinatown. No, it was a uh, marked jeepney from the airport, then another marked jeepney from the Lappy Lappy Circle, past Michael Jackson traffic up and then to the mall. Then it was taxi from the mall, and then it was on foot after that. Yeah, because I was looking at that area, I'm thinking, that is the, yeah, Jen and I have done all that on foot. <laughs> and I know I've not pointed it out yet, but Edis has really dropped the ball again on the graphic for the city sprint, or whatever stupid thing we're calling it. No one needs to see it. We don't care where teams are in relation to each other. Just show the normal currently in first, second, third, or last place graphics. You don't need to show the horrible little box with terribly compressed font. You are you are really going them. I don't mind the little box. I thought it was cute for something different, but you just want to go everything. You've got to admit, the editing this season has no! been dreadful. But that, that little box is okay. We've had no coherent storyline. James and Will, on any other season, their storyline ended with Leo and Alana going home. They would have gone next. Edison have nothing else to hang it on, and they've not worked out how to make a coherent season in the past two years. <laughs> What's it got to do with the little box? The little box is cute. I liked it. The little box is another bit of editing where it serves no purpose other than to try and claim that this is a new gimmick and it's not it's nonsense we know but the little box is still cute it's okay the best thing is we've not even got up to the bit of the leg that is gonna really boil my piss which is this final challenge because once teams get to the mayhem garden they have to listen to a rock band playing a medley of four pieces of music that they have heard on the race from the string quartet in paris the brass band in colombia the orchestra in paraguay and the steel drums in trinidad and tobago and then find four instrument cases with the flags matching their legs in order to get their next clue the cases have to be in leg order not song order and unsurprisingly i have huge issues with this challenge can i say something before you start I just want to say the French violin piece, when it's converted to the band, is really difficult. Like, like th- there's two pieces there you get very quickly, the Trinidad and, and the Columbia, but um, that one in particular, I- I'm musical. I mean, 
But for me to decipher that that was that, that's pretty tricky. Unsurprisingly, Michelle, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with what I'm about to say, because I love a memory challenge. I am very much an advocate of every season having a memory challenge, preferably as the last challenge, because it actually properly sets up stuff for the the season and doesn't let people win unless they really have been in the moment on the season. I'm not necessarily opposed to doing it in the penultimate leg as well, just to surprise them, especially if you want to hang a gimmick on it like this. However, this is, hands down, the worst memory challenge they have ever done. Because it is entirely reliant on roadblocks. They haven't had a roadblock every leg, but every single piece of music here came from the roadblock of their respective leg. The Paris one especially is by far the worst, because they were tucked away in a corner in one of the rooms accompanying the costume party. It actively penalises teams who were quick at that challenge, like Gary and D'Angelo, and I've not had a lot of good things to say about Gary and D'Angelo this season. However, I'm absolutely seeing Gary and D'Angelo on this. This challenge was nonsense, because that string quartet was tucked away in the corner. I didn't even remember there was a string quartet in that roadblock until they showed him. Gary was in that roadblock for five minutes, and this occurred probably two weeks before he was trying to remember what that piece of music was. It sounds nothing alike when transposed to the rock band, as does the orchestra in Paraguay, I'll be honest, that doesn't sound very similar either, to me at least. The brass band in Colombia, you can definitely tell because it is a famous piece of music and is associated with circuses, so as soon as you hear them playing the you're like, I know what roadblock that's going to be from. Deo, let's be honest, everyone heard it for at least half an hour at a time. They should be able to get that one. The other two, however, there's no hope in hell of you getting those very quickly, I don't think. The orchestra you can kind of make an argument for because the non-participating person was sat right near the actual orchestra waiting for everyone to come come out so they all got to see the orchestra play. However, the one in Chantilly is absolute nonsense. They should not have hung an entire challenge that determines the final three on that. And they, they said another, yeah, because Gary and D'Angelo, I think, also said in an interview that it wasn't just the Paris one, but I think the Columbia one, they were barely in there for too. Or the circus challenge where they wouldn't have wrecked. But I think Paris one was the one they said. We were in and out of there in five minutes. We would have never, ever recognized that song. I think you can definitely argue for the Columbia one more than the Paris one. Because the Columbia one is at least a recognizable piece of music that you would associate with a circus. Or I would at least. Whereas the, the string quartet one wasn't a recognizable piece of music to me. It was very quiet in the mix. And I'm assuming it was probably fairly quiet in the actual room as well. And you wouldn't remember something you've been around for five minutes tops two weeks beforehand that you're not looking out for. Yeah, it was It was just, it was, it put Gary and D'Angelo at a bigger disadvantage than they already were for this round. And what was funny is that the pit start, Phil said, oh, this is a city sprint. It's like no other before. And that means you really need to think about working together. So I'm thinking, okay, production made it clear they don't want this alliance thing to impact this leg. And then they have a memory challenge where if one team gets it right, it is very, very easy to just have them share it with the other two teams and guarantee all three of them make it to the final three. Because after that task, the pit stop is right around the corner and it's a place they've already been to. Like this was the absolute worst leg to try and go against alliances. Correct me if I'm wrong on these two points. When there's a memory challenge, 
they usually sequester people and have separate stations where they cannot actually confer with each other. And also, more importantly, they don't usually do it with an alliance. They have already tried to combat the alliance this season in Kazakhstan, and I don't understand why they didn't put a note in the clue saying, you cannot confer with another team on this. Because Riley and Madison would have been in a showdown for last with Gary and Dianzo. As a result of this challenge, there is not a chance in hell that Riley and Madison actually work out that challenge. Yeah, after this round aired, I was thinking, this would probably make the top five of worst production decisions I think I've seen on any version of Amazing Race. Just when their producers are trying to find a way to go against alliances, and then the fact that even if they didn't know there was this alliance happening, you have a memory challenge in the final leg because you know no one's going to work together. And if you do separate stations, that means no one, no one, that means nobody can copy each other either. So the fact that they didn't put up either of those two barriers for this challenge is really confusing. It's like it's their first season they've ever produced. It's a mistake you would learn to say in season one or season two of a reality show, not in season thirty-two. So that's really. That's the part that's really, really puzzling for me. I am fully aware that I have been incredibly grumpy this season. Maybe not as grumpy as I was in uh, in 31, but that was a really bad season. I have been quite grumpy about production decisions in, in this season, and maybe it's just me being very bored of Amazing Race production by this point. But I don't think anyone can argue that this was a good production decision. I think this is the first episode where I fully agreed with you on all of your complaints, Michael. <laughs> Yeah, this is genuinely one of the worst production decisions on any show. Never mind Amazing Race. It's one of the worst, silliest production decisions they've ever made. And the funny thing is, is that this isn't the scenario they wanted. They were trying to find a scenario where all three teams don't just guarantee that they're top three. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. It would have been a foot race between Hung and Chi and James and Will to win this leg, and it would have been a foot race for last between Gary and D'Angelo and Riley and Madison, I think. Instead, it's just a foregone conclusion where it's not even close. Yeah. And if if somehow Riley and Madison win next week, I feel like as a result of this challenge, their win has a little bit of an asterisk. Because this alliance benefited them far more in this challenge than anyone else. Yeah, because they were the only ones who didn't figure out the clue. What's funny is that if everyone read the clue properly from the start, I wrote it down on what the permutations could be. And if you went leg one, leg two, leg three, leg four, but if you went in that specific order, it would only take you eight tries if you knew the specific order from the start. So that's why they figured it out so quickly after they read the clue, because then it's like, okay, now it's just eight attempts and you'll get it. That's the other thing. They were specifically told it was in leg order, so I don't think they actually thought that this challenge was going to go on as long as it did. Gary and D'Angelo were there for three hours. My God. Yeah, and if they, everyone had read, the, if everyone had read their clue from the start, I assume the sole leg would have been done in three hours ish. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, Phil's Phil's probably waiting at the mat, thinking, "What the hell are they doing? It's an easy challenge." <laughs> if you're not told what order they've got to be in, like whether it's leg order or song order. There's 5,040 combinations. As Logan said, as soon as you tell them it's leg order, it goes down to seven. Well, what were they? They were working on 15. There was, they said 14 or 15, didn't they, at one point? Yeah, because they didn't necessarily know the flags were right. Yeah. 
but it drops to seven if anyone spots that it's leg order. And I don't know if anyone else saw this. Uh, there was actually a guy who, because there was a crew of amazing race reality TV super fans who followed the teams around for the for the afternoon, and they said that the two hour penalty was not actually fully served. Darren Daniel recalled over after about an hour. <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up because. Gary and D'Angelo were there for about three hours. Everyone else was there for about two hours. And Gary and D'Angelo checked in an hour and six behind Hung and Chi. Yeah, why would they bother with waiting for two hours? Gary and D'Angelo quitting this challenge is also the first time all season that anyone's taken a penalty. And that was just because it was foregone conclusion. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> Everyone knows where the pit stop is. And it shows you how short this leg was leading up to it because this task takes up, I think, about 16 minutes. Like, the first... 20, like everything up in that task is done within the first 25 minutes of airtime. There's 17 minutes left. So, and then what, two minutes for celebrations and promos. So roughly 15 minutes was dedicated to this one task, which is not the most riveting when you know Gary and D'Angelo aren't getting it. It's just a matter of time before one, the other three teams get it and share it with the other two teams. And it's more painful because you see them all sharing information right in front of Gary and D'Angelo. Yeah, especially when we're shown D'Angelo asking if they all want to work together and James says no. And then D'Angelo spots them all working together. The final three decide to work together to advance to the finale. And they establish that Tobago and Columbia were correct, but the other two were basically gamed. And nobody spots the leg order thing until both James and Hunk reread their clues and then both tell Riley and Madison. And it's just game over. <laughs> yeah. As a result, Riley and Madison leaving first, and teams must now head on foot back to Lapu Lapu Circle, the pit stop for the side of the race. The last team to check in will be eliminated. Riley and Madison tell the other two in front of Gary and D'Angelo. James and Will leaving second, Hung and Chi leaving third. Gary and D'Angelo quit the task. They're understandably a little bit pissed. And then Riley and Madison check in in first. James and Will check in in second and cry. And Hung and Chi check in in third, meaning Gary and D'Angelo are eliminated from the race. And it wasn't. The thing is, you couldn't even say it was like a suspenseful dash to the pit stop because everyone knew where the pit stop was because they were there at the start of the leg. Yeah. And Phil tells the final three teams they're going to New Orleans with a flight upgrade. And D'Angelo, when he checks in, says the race sucked. He could have paid for it himself like a holiday. And I guess the, the his final confessional wasn't edited all that. It was taken a little bit out of context. Yeah, it was very, 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 very edited. <laughs> yes. As we speculated in the premiere, D'Angelo had no idea what this show was. He didn't watch any season before he went on it. Gary watched about 10 before he went on it, apparently, but D'Angelo watched to zero. The eggs interviews are hilarious because it's just Gary trying to smooth over everything D'Angelo says. Mm. Oh no, D'Angelo is probably the most furious person we've ever seen in an Amazing Race exit interview. It's delightful because yeah. he is saying everything that I've been saying all season, basically. But all the fans were so angry at how he reacted. Oh my God. You know, the fans that were that were like saying, oh, you know, it's okay, he should feel like that. But there were more saying, oh, well, he shouldn't have even been cast. He was privileged. He doesn't care about anything. Why should he be on the race? And backlash plus. It's righteous fury from D'Angelo for me. I am 100% going to defend D'Angelo because everything he says is true. He said that it was utter bullshit that this happened. It was. He said that it was utter bullshit that Riley and Madison stabbed them in the back, which it was. But the problem is, the show has not been told in a coherent manner. Every speculation I'm making on a winner edit could all be for nothing, because you can't put much faith in 
this season being competently edited, as we've seen for the past 11 episodes. That's the caveat I have to put on any speculation I make in the next like five, ten minutes, is the fact that just because Hung and Chi have a very much traditional winner's edit with Alana talking about them being made of magic and fairy dust and she's jealous, that's a classic Amazing Race winner-style secondary confessional content thing. Just because I talk about Hung and Chi with the, the jeepney thing contrasting with James and Will, in any other decently edited season, you'd take that to mean, yeah, Hung and Chi probably win, James and Will probably come up short at the end as a result of it, and are beaten by Hung and Chi. There has to be a caveat on this and say, I cannot say for 100% that that's going to be true, because this season seems to have been edited by people who've never seen this show, do not know how to tell a story, and just have got terrible direction from somewhere, and I don't know where it's fallen down. In any other season, regardless of whether Riley and Madison win, we would have seen them make this alliance with Gary and D'Angelo, just like we saw the Brooke and Scott, we won't U-turn new packs with, with Mike and Liz. They still told that, despite the fact that Brooke and Scott won, but that is the way to tell a season. It's all well and good burying Gary and D'Angelo to try and make people actually like the alliance, but you can't really bury Gary and D'Angelo when there's exit interviews coming, and when D'Angelo is absolutely raining hellfire on these people now. Because even two years later, D'Angelo's like, no, nah, I wouldn't come back. <laughs> Unless it was a charity, I wouldn't come back. What's funny is that I think Racers Recap is having their podcast tomorrow and they say, we're going to be chatting with Gary tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> no D'Angelo. <laughs> I noticed D'Angelo didn't, um, di- didn't say yes. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because Sim and Gary have had their own podcast all season. I've had other teams on there repeatedly. It's such a shame because I genuinely would want to be in the chat for Gary and D'Angelo being there together, but I think it's going to be slightly less fun with no D'Angelo. So next time, teams head to New Orleans, there's a bridge swing, beads, pastries, balls, and a rendezvous with Phil at the Thunderdome, where one team will finally, after nearly two years, be announced as winner. And let's be honest, unless it's Hung and Chi, I'm not sure I'm going to care that much. As much as I like James and Will, their edit has been really weird, and I don't think it would be a satisfying ending. Yeah, I'm curious what's going to happen to the overall reaction of the season if it's just Riley and Madison winning the season. If Riley and Madison win, it's hands down the worst edited season and the worst winner's edit we've ever seen. Not necessarily the worst season on paper that's played out, but it's definitely the worst edited season. I think that's an important distinction to make if that's what happens next week. Yeah, there, there is a caveat there of worst edited season. Still as bad as I do rag on certain seasons, season 24, season 30. This season isn't as bad regardless of who wins, because there are still some positive, like this cast was really good, and also new leg in every country. The downsides are pretty much everything on production side. Production have been asleep at the wheel this season. But just because the edit doesn't pinpoint to a winner how you normally like it to pinpoint to them... Does that mean it's a bad season just because of the edit of the winner? Yes, because it's unsatisfying. The number one rule of reality TV editing, and and actually editing of anything, is to make the conclusion satisfying. If you edit it badly, regardless of what material you've got, they could have edited this season a lot better from the stories we've heard coming out. Regardless of what material they had, they have edited this season badly, and if Hung and She don't win... There is not a satisfying ending, regardless of if it's James and Will or Riley and Madison. Really? I think it's okay for James and Will to win. No, they've had a terrible edit. They've had a really negative edit for, like, half of this season. 
James and Will have gotten a lot of hate on social media. Yeah. Yeah, given how pissed all of the fans are now, working on the assumption that James and Will win here, hypothetical situation, given the hate that they have got, especially over the past couple of weeks, for basically doing the buddy system, Survivor of Redemption Island thing, of forcing their alliance to the front, they have got so much hate, and it will increase tenfold if they win. I was thinking, if I was Riley and Madison or James and Will, probably for the past two years, you've... If, if one of them had won, I have no idea it was one. But if one of those two teams, if one of those two teams won, you'd be, and for two years you're thinking, man, it's so cool. I won the Amazing Race. It's finally going to air on TV. I'm going to think after the finale airs, both of them, both of those teams are going to be thinking, man, it was so much fun being a winner before I was shown on TV. <laughs> it was, it was fun being a winner for the past two years, but not anymore. <laughs> I think the reaction that James and Will or Riley and Madison, assuming that they won, would have is, it was really fun being a winner, and it's really fun knowing I was a winner. I'd just rather not have it shown on TV and have to deal with the backlash. I'd rather not have about 4 million, slightly over 4 million people know I, know I won. It was great when it was just me and a bunch of people I made friends with on the race and production, maybe other alumni, but people watching me on TV, I, I, I could have gone without them knowing I won. I think, though, there will be a slightly better reaction. There'll, well, 100%, there will be a much better reaction from the audience if Hung and Chi win. But if James and Will or Riley and Madison win, it, it, the audience is going to be really pissed. Somehow, Hung and Chi have been able to slip through the cracks between all of this hate, for the most part. In any other season, I would say I am 100% confident that Hung and Chi win, just based on the content they've had. They've had a lot of secondary confessional content and everyone talking about how awesome they are, even though they are now third of the final three in terms of average, albeit not by much. They've had so much positive content and so much evidence of Hung especially being really nice to all the judges and she's still really competitive, but she's always nice to the locals. She's always polite and respectful and everything. In any other season, I'd be like, 100% they win. I'm throwing everything in on that. But this isn't any other season. This is a season that... I have mentioned repeatedly, the edit has been real wonky this season. You cannot trust anything that production say. See the first time ever thing from this week. You cannot trust a word that this edit is coming across with, sadly, this season. So I cannot guarantee Hung and Chi win. They have the most traditional winner's edit content. I'd say I'm probably about maybe 90% Hung and Chi win, 10% James and Will. There is a little bit of evidence for both James and Will and Riley and Madison winning in that Riley and Madison have the fact that their edit has definitely been sanitised with respect to Gary and D'Angelo. And James and Will, something I did remember that we mentioned in the preview, there's no evidence of where James and Will got engaged. It is something I speculated in the preview that meant that they probably didn't win a leg because they would have definitely had a proposal if they won a leg, if they win have a proposal at the finish line, Matt, that is a really ballsy gamble that they were actually going to make it there. Hmm. That's the only thing in the back of my mind that's like, maybe James and Will win because we'll see a proposal at the finish line. But I can't guarantee it. I would say like I'm 70%, I would put 70 points on Hung and Chi winning about 25 points on Riley and Madison and then 5 points on James and Will. I feel like Riley and Madison have got a classic final three downfall edit see they're just reminding me a lot of sam and paul from maze race canada six but yeah again this isn't any of the season i can't guarantee that that's going to be true 
<laughs> it kills me to be able to say that because I love talking about winners' edits and stuff and proving that I'm right at all costs. But this <laughs> season has been so janky with the edit, I can't guarantee it. <laughs> For all we know, it's going to be Ishwar Naparna laying at the at the finish line. <laughs> That's just the way things have been going with production for this season, or or Jerry and Frank. This is going to be a Redemption Island situation. You are first to cross the finish line, but we know the audience is going to be really pissed off about the about the alliance making it to the end. So, eliminated teams, pick one representative to face off against the winners, and it's winner take all. And it's on a giant map of the US. What's your suspicion on winning, Michelle? Normally, I'd say, who do you think is going to win? But let's be honest, <laughs> who the fuck knows? I really, Hung and Chi, really, I I think they're going to take it out. I think Hung and Chi winning would be the most positive thing for the season just because it will take so much of the heat off. <laughs> I think the fans will hate it a lot less if Hung and Chi win. God, if Will and James win, I'd love them to win. But if they win... The groups are going to explode. Yeah, I think if James and Will especially win, but also if Riley and Madison win, there is going to be a very uncomfortable week for any admin of an Amazing Race Facebook group, apart from me and Logan, because, you know, we'll just turn off posting. Do you turn off posting? I think we have had one thread a week sometimes, when it's been getting a little bit hateful, yeah. Jesus. So a couple of bits of housekeeping. As I mentioned, Phil didn't meet them until 11.30am at the earliest. Riley and Madison checked in at 3.58pm. James and Will at 4pm and Hungerji at 4.03. And Gary and Janjo bringing it in at 5.09pm. Oh, so it was just four and a half hours from start to finish. Yeah, as an absolute maximum, it was four and a half hours for Riley and Madison. Wow. Phil met them sometime between about 11.30am and midday from the live sightings. Hmm. And then half over half that time was at the or three quarters of that time was at the one challenge. Yeah. Um the final three have obviously been very dominant this season, just to prove it. They will end up with the fourth lowest final three average ever at two point five two. Only season twenty with two and a half. China two at two and a half, and China one at two point four eight are lower. Oh, and one other thing I looked up was that out of the 11 episodes, the final three have taken three of the top four spots in nine out of 11 episodes. Yeah. Or, or I guess 10 out of 12, I guess, when it's all done. So very, very, very one-sided season. Yeah. Something we actually haven't talked about is the fact that this day in Manila was the one with the most teams ever in the same city. Racing. Oh, because the Israeli version was at the same time. Yep, Hammerox's premiere of the season that literally finished last week was filmed in Manila on exactly the same day, so there was actually 16 teams in the same city racing. Wow. No, I I didn't understand what you meant then. I I didn't bring in another country. I didn't think about another country being there, and I'm thinking, what? There's only four. (laughs) And actually, I did ask James, and they didn't even know that Hammerox was filming at the same time. There was no indication, which actually may explain why teams are so narrowed down with where they actually went. Yeah, because they didn't have... Well, both both franchises used Rizzle Park, though. Yeah, the pit stops were 450 metres apart, something like that. Imagine checking into the Israeli pit stop instead of <laughs> the American pit stop. <laughs> there it is! Run to the mat! You run to the man, there's guy, this guy checking checking you into the pit stop in Hebrew, and you're just really, really confused. Like, where's Phil? 
Ron's just there, like, talking to you, and you're like, I have no idea what you're saying. Where's Phil? You look really different, man. I don't remember. <laughs> Is Phil sick? It's gone. From what I've heard as well, um, given, as you said, there were a lot of live sightings for this leg, it was the... It was the first leg since Paraguay that was quite heavily spoiled this season. They lost them for a lot of the season. They apparently cut out about 80% of the fans constantly filming the teams at every opportunity. And one final note I actually have to add to something I've already said is that James and Will announced on Instagram they were engaged on January 15, 2019. There is no proposal picture on their Instagrams, and they have apparently been engaged since December 2018. Whether that was at the finish line or not, I have no idea yet. But it's a good possibility it was. Yeah. My suspicion is they will get engaged at the finish line. I have no idea whether they're actually going to get engaged as winners at the finish line. Or if it's that, that that's their consolation prize. Because we have obviously had it in the past where we've had second places propose and things like that. Fourth placers. Yeah. It is definitely a possibility that James and Will will come out of next week being engaged, which of course explains why they're team name title thing has been boyfriends rather than dating couple imagine if they propose when they lose though because then everyone on social media is going to say oh you just stole the winner's thunder by proposing at the finish line and you didn't let uh, say if hung and chi won they're going to say oh they didn't even let hung and chi win they wanted all the attention for themselves i'm pretty confident they're going to get engaged at the finish line i just don't know whether they're going to do it as winners or not and actually one more thing i i've meant to mention um i did mention in the preview there was a sighting that got spoiled in new orleans someone stupidly sent me a picture of one of the final three teams it was riley and madison just to end that mystery mm. have you guys got anything else you want to say no i'm hungry G- uh jan cooked me first time someone's cooked me food in about 10 months and i am eager to have an authentic filipino meal after talking about manila for the past hour and 15 minutes so I think that's what I'm going to do, because that was a lot more enjoyable than talking about this piece of shit episode. (laughs) It's nice to know we're such good company. I'm very insulted, Michelle. Are you? No, you know what? This is better than cleaning my kitchen. I've got to go and clean up after (laughs) party. (laughs) Basically, Logan has spent the past over an hour talking to us and basically described it as a piece of shit episode. I'm, I'm quite insulted right now. No, 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 not this podcast episode. I mean, the episode that we had to endure on TV. It was, as I said earlier, probably the worst episode we've ever had to talk about since 28's France leg. I'm quite impressed we managed to do such a good episode, but thank God it's over. So thank you for listening to our Amazing Race 32 recap. We'll be back next week to recap the finale, finally. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsuperquacky. Michelle is bear3333333. And I'm MJ Harmstone. Logan and I will also be back to continue Belgium Mall South Africa on Thursday as we slap some flies with pancakes. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye. Have a good day. Enjoy your meal.